It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Nice to have you listening again today, Tim Hughes, Tom Bettis, and we are on the road. It, I mean, I c- couldn't expect a better day, could you? Oh, this is gorgeous. We've been here on some cold days, uh, and uh, particularly just before the sun would pop up on some occasions, uh, it would be cold here, but it is beautiful, and the first garden tour just walked by, and it was packed. So uh, it's a great day to come out and be a part and see what the Weber Basin Water uh, Annual Garden Fair is all about today. We hope you'll take the opportunity to do that. The festivities will go on until two this afternoon. I do want to talk to John here in a second. Do you have something else you wanted to No, go for it. I, I just want to clear a couple of these calls that have been on for a while. Lynn is in Bountiful. Uh, real quick, uh, jump on with us some questions about lawns. I guess that never goes away, does it, here on the greenhouse? No. Number one topic. Lynn, what's going on with your lawn? Good morning. Hey, I have a couple of spots in my lawn that look like a type of grass. It's real low to the ground, but the most distinctive part is it grows in a circle. And I don't know if that's a weed or a different kind of lawn. It looks kind of ugly with the rest of my lawn. It's probably pasture-type fescue. It's a pasture grass that can outcompete Kentucky bluegrass. And so all you can really do is smother it if you do not want to use a pesticide you'd have to get and cut it low and then put some plastic or cardboard over it and then cover that with mulch for two or three weeks or you can get some roundup or kills all our similar product and just uh, spray it out wait till it's dead and then dig it and reseed or resod those areas if you want to get rid of it okay so wait till it's dead before i before I dig it Yes, up. if you dig it, it will just come back because you can't ever get all the roots. Okay. All right. So smother it. Cover or it with spray mulch, it. Smother it or spray it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thanks very much. All right, Lynn. Thank you. I used to be really, sorry for the term here, anal about my uh, lawn. Uh, and you taught me years ago, it's just stupid grass, I think was your quote. Yeah, it's a Jerry Goodspeed quote. Is it? Yes, it is just stupid grass and i sort of gave up on it if it's green and when i mow it it looks good then i'm not going to worry about yeah i mean unless it's something you know if you've got bindweed or something that's yeah good. i mean it is and i've got in an area of my lawn i've got some quack grass going i attempted to control it and failed yeah and instead of killing the entire section it's in a fairly contained area and so i'm just letting it go yeah i'm gonna see what it does it's surrounded on cement on two sides and i mow it and it is a noxious weed, but I will say it's much more drought hardy than Kentucky bluegrass. <laughs> well, there is that. We're not encouraging people to grow quack grass, <laughs> no, but. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but looking at the glasses half full instead of half empty here. Mike, let's get you in before we uh, talk to John Perry here. You uh, planted some Alberta peach trees you had a question for Ton on. Good morning. Um, yes, the uh, I planted them and. About three or four days later, I noticed some little yellow leaves uh, on each tree. Uh, Did I hurt the trees when I planted them? You could have some transplant shock 
from transporting them. That's really common, especially if they were wind whipped on the way home. Now, how long ago did you plant them? Uh, about three or four days ago. Okay, and how much water have they been given? I watered them in as the instructions and uh, and left them alone from there. Okay, have you checked them since? Yes, today, and I've noticed there's a few more yellow leaves. Okay, have you checked the soil, in, especially the root ball of the tree itself, to see if it's dry? I know it's wet. I soaked it good. Okay, I would just leave it alone and contact the nursery you bought them from that uh, the leaves are yellowing a bit. Have them maybe note on your receipt to cover you. But I would give them a couple of weeks and see what they do because those first the first week or two are always the scariest because they wilt down a little bit. They may yellow out. But as long as you're not overwatering them and not underwatering them, they should be fine. Let, let me ask you this, Mike. Has your neighborhood been hit with these afternoon rainstorms over that period of time? Yes. Yeah, you know, you can't do much about that, obviously. No, but, and mm. that's just, you know, delay your watering a bit. Yeah. But just make sure, you know, you might get a hand trowel out or just a little garden shovel and dig along the side of the tree and make sure that there's not water pooling at the base. Just make sure of that, okay. you know, and if it's, if you don't have water pooling at the base, then I would say just be patient. Okay. You're certainly in All that right. window of three or four days when uh, transplant shock might be a problem. Mike, thank you. Do you have anything else? No, that's all. Thank uh, you. All right. We appreciate you being out there today. John Perry's back with us. He's the assistant general manager. I, I saw this uh, parade of people that were coming out, and I realized that must be the first garden tour taking place today. I think you're right. It was the first garden tour, one of many that we'll have throughout the day. So don't feel like you've missed out. If you're not here yet, come on down. There's more to come. Sounds like a weird thing to uh, sign up for or want to attend a water treatment tour. But, Ton, there's probably more to it than people know. Oh, there are. There, There is. I have toured these water treatment plants for drinking water. And coming out of the river or whatever the water stored in to being able to drink it, there is so much involved. You know, just going from A to you know to Z. One thing that I was fascinated by is they actually had to settle particulates out of the water just little small particles of soil and things that say you just use some sterile tablets and it doesn't hurt you but you know there's just so much to this the uv lights it's a fascinating tour i saw and it was funny but it's sad actually asking some uh, high school students where does your drinking water come from and they say out of the tap uh, they have no idea do they absolutely and to be completely honest until i you know started working in this field i don't know that i knew any better either so i mean it, it's a it's a great opportunity to come and, and see everything that's just been discussed the sedimentation the filtration the disinfection that all takes place we'll run you through it all and, and hopefully you'll have greater well, confidence and it's amazing coming. to me that you can take that water that is just coming off the watershed, you know, whether it's coming the Ogden River, Weber River, whatever, and have that come into a plant and then have it potable at the end very quickly and very inexpensively. And yeah. it's just an amazing uh, process to get from the raw water coming into treated water. When I say treated, it is clean, mm -hmm. clean water for people to drink. 
It is. It's it's a great, you know, tried and true process. Uh, staff here, you know, we know based on the water that's coming in, because it varies during the year, certainly this high runoff year, we've got a lot of sediment that's coming down, so the treatment process is a little different than in drought years where it's not as sediment-laden and things like that. But absolutely, the, the technology exists. We'd love to show you what's going on and uh, help you understand where that water comes from. I had, not even, I had not even thought about that, but as much as we've talked about the problems with the few areas that we've had that had flooding with all the debris that came down because of the high, fast running water. I didn't even think about what that meant for the water treatment side. Yep, everything that's coming down the river, you know, we're just diverting and we have to take care of it here at the treatment plant as well. So it's it's you, running. You talk about that sediment. This is a little off topic, but Central Utah has that and they collect it. And they actually have contractors come in and take it and use it for landscaping. And they said, yeah, it grows great plants. And <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of different uses for it. Absolutely. How, what is the percentage these days of the water that's used inside the house versus what's used outside? Is it still like 80-20 or something? Yeah, I think that's a good estimate. So in our, our residential applications, you know, you'll see anywhere from 60 up to 80, 90, depending on size of lot and size of household. And outside things like that. Outside the house, yep. And that's why you see a lot of our conservation programs, right? When we're stressing, come and look at our garden and plant materials and things you can do differently. Uh, the the incentives for the smart controllers and our turf removal programs, I mean, it really is geared towards that outdoor water use because that's where we're going to see a bulk of our savings. It's just being more efficient and reducing our demands in those applications because it is it, right now 80% of our water. 70% of the typical household's water use on an annual basis is going outdoors. Every one of these vendors next to us is busy right now, which is a great sign for Absolutely. you guys. But we haven't really talked about what some of the topics are that they're sharing with people. Do you ha- know right off the top of Yeah, your so we've got uh, our local landfill here that will kind of run you through what they're doing at the landfill and the, the recovery center that they've got going on. We've got uh, one of our customer agencies, Ogden City. They've got a sustainability department and their, their conservation groups telling us what they're doing in there area we got utah state the the quell program or seawell excuse me we got the division of water uh, resources here kind of going through what's what's going on there and uh i'm sure i'm missing some i have to give a shout out to the osu extension master gardeners up there too then yes the, the ogden and, uh, davis county master gardeners well, it's all going to be going on until 2 this afternoon. Let me just look at the schedule real quick. 15 minutes away, that water treatment tour we were t- uh, telling you about. They'll have the second garden tour of the day starting at 1030. And then bring the kids because we mentioned cotton candy, but there is a magician that's going to uh, be back at it with a magic show coming up at 11 o'clock this morning. Just a lot of fun. And it's a perfect day. Weather-wise, you couldn't have planned it any better, John. Feels great. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll dive into some more phone calls. Wendy, you're going to be first up in West Jordan, so stick around. We'll go to Taylorsville to talk to Inger, Dave's in Provo, and Stephen in Midvale, all next on this week's KSL Greenhouse. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Truth be told, the reason they bring us out here for the Garden Fair is because we are quality control on hot dogs. We are. We're both scarfing down hot dogs and (laughs) chips on break, and 
Made it to the hot dog, but didn't make it to my chips yet. Yeah, so chips, hot dogs. They uh, are good. They've got drinks over there. They have uh, cotton candy for the kids. Ice cold Diet Coke. I a little bit of lack of sleep last night, so getting some caffeine in me. We don't get this kind of service on Utah's Morning News. Nobody wants to get up that early. We have uh, four calls that are holding, so let's see if we can get through a couple of them here before we get to the final hour. Wendy, I think, was next in West Jordan. A neighbor out there in my neck of the woods, uh, you had a a question about compost. Yes. Uh, And I love you guys. I love listening to you in the mornings, Saturday mornings. Anyway, I'm wondering what the best way to incorporate compost into my soil. Uh, I've been here 25 years, and, of course, um, it's heavy, heavy clay soil. It's almost like cement. But I have a lot of bare spaces where plants have succumbed to shade and neglect over the last many years. So I I want to plant uh, some more shrubs, perennials, etc., I'm wondering if I should lay down a few inches of compost, leave it, or should I till it in, or should I dig the holes and then add a little compost to each digging hole? So now the I third option, mulch. yeah, you don't want to do your third option because when you plant, especially trees and shrubs, they've got to be able to adapt to your soil. And if you make this situation to where they've got all this lovely soil, the roots will stop after the where the compost stops and sometimes they won't grow through it and so you're better off just incorporating the compost evenly so if you have areas that you're not going to plant quickly you could just put the compost down and use it almost like a mulch to prevent weeds and soil microorganisms will slowly break it down and work it'll work itself into the soil if you want to till you don't want to till too much but you can till yeah. in, you know, especially if you're doing garden beds that you plant in and things. But the first two options to where you either just lay it out and let it decompose itself or work it into the soil carefully so that you're not overtilling, but you can use a tiller to do that would be the best oh, options. Okay. Well, so if I leave it on top, will it ever go down into the soil? Cause it's yes, so, it will. So hard. It'll, it's, okay. But it needs moisture to do that. If it's dry, it'll just sit there dry. But if it gets irrigated, say, once a week mm-hmm. and the soil stays a little bit moist to where that encourages earth, what will happen is over time, earthworms will work their way in there and they will help decompose that organic matter and drag it down into the soil. And so you will have natural processes plus earthworms and other insects helping you out. But that area, if you if it's bone dry that won't happen okay all right all right wendy that sounds like a plan thank you so much thank you good luck uh inger let's squeeze you in here we've got a couple of minutes uh you're in taylorsville what's your question for taunt oh we caught her in the back of the room (laughs) inger are you still there (laughs) i'm here all right go ahead with your go ahead with your question okay uh the water controllers that you put or timers that you put on that are connected with the weather i'm concerned about it turning off i don't have one yet because i don't know if it's going to work for me um when it rains we don't often until this year i guess have enough rain that will go down two inches usually when i (laughs) i have to water longer than that before i can 
safely say that it got to the roots of shrubs or plants or whatever. What do you have to so, tell me that that's so, not? So what's your question? That will uh, one of those uh, smart controllers work for you? Yeah, do they work? Because if it yes. says it's going to it works, even if it's, you know, we get a quarter of an inch of rain, and that's not going to water anything, really. They, they take that into the account, and John Perry's with us, and maybe he could help address this. He's a water engineer, and so would, would you describe the processes with these smart controllers? Yeah, so there's there's several different manufacturers, but the idea behind all of them is the same, is that they, they tie into it when you've got them in the smart mode, so you've got to leave them in smart mode, right? So they're, they're communicating via Wi-Fi and the Internet with weather stations, but um, you assign a weather station, so hopefully there's one in close proximity to you that's kind of reflective of the actual weather that you're experiencing, and using algorithms and proprietary whatever they're doing, they they basically work with the information you give. And as far as you know, the the type of material you're you're watering, your soil types, your slopes, your exposure to the sun, um, and basically come up with the the most optimized way of watering it. And so if you get a a low precipitation event, it takes that in conti- conti- into consideration, and it might skip you know a watering, but it'll come back the next day if it wasn't enough to get you what you needed. And so, it, I mean, you're right that you need to make sure that you're involved. It's not a set it and forget it type of situation. You need to be digging into the details of that smart controller, making sure that's reflective of what you're actually, you know, experiencing your clay soils, your sandy soils, what you might have as far as sun exposure. And then, yeah, play it out. Uh, give it a chance to demonstrate that it can do what you're telling you. I've, I've had one on my lawn now for about four or five years. And uh, I have not, no complaints. I got a clay soil, so it, it does the cycle soak type stuff for me when I get the rain events coming through. You know, it's not uncommon for me to, to skip a cycle or two once a month, and it just really works out. So Yeah, so if you only got a quarter of an inch from a little thunderstorm to pass through, it knows that and will compensate the next day with the rest of the water you need. That's the idea, and that's yeah. been my experience. And yeah. is, is that only uh, – you mentioned lawns. I rarely water my lawn. It gets the overflow because I have a lot of flowering be- flower beds, shrub beds, and things like that. I don't care what my lawn does. <laughs> yep. And so you can you can go into those controllers and you can say this is a flower bed and it's using drip irrigation or bubblers or whatever it might be doing, and it takes all that into consideration. So I would say yes, uh, one would work uh-huh. for you. All right. Sounds like a bit of work. Yeah, but. if you're going to get one, the conserv- the conservancy districts have rebates programs for getting a smart controller, and so you can get a, a lot of your money back that you spent up front if you save your receipt and work with them, depending on where you live. Okay. Yeah, so that's, I will, that's a good good place check. to start for sure. Inger, thank you. Okay, well. All right. I guess we've uh, lost Inger. But – that is something to talk to people about is there are lots of great rebate programs. matter of fact, right now I think some cities are offering uh, some exchange for removing turf, aren't they? Well, yeah, we've worked with a lot of our communities up here to adopt ordinances and become eligible for these turf removal programs where we, we basically pay people to take lawn out in areas where it's not being used and replace it with different vegetation that's maybe a, a little bit more water-wise and uses drip irrigation. And so... Um, by all means, if you're up in uh, Weaver Basin's area, get onto our website, weaverbasin.com. We've got a list of communities that have adopted those ordinances that are eligible. We're working with dozen more to, to get those uh, ordinances in place to become eligible. But uh, the weaverbasin.com site is a great, great resource to go on and find out about those rebate, rebates and incentives. Uh, Utah Water Savers 
com is another place that kind of is a, a central clearinghouse for all the conservancy districts and things that are available in your area. So get on there. If you're going to get a smart controller, go to Utah Water Savers, create an account, and you can get you know a rebate that uh, helps pay for a majority of that, that smart controller yeah, might cost. When that rebate kicks in, it'll be a very inexpensive option that will help you save water, but it's connected to an app. And if you want to turn those sprinklers on from your phone, you can do it. Yeah. Hopefully Inger is still listening. We're out of time for this hour. We have a final hour coming up in a minute, so stay with us. We're live today at the Weber Basin Water Annual Garden Fair. They'll be at it until 2 this afternoon. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.